0: the inside oh, quick looking
1: hi there and welcome to pick and drive Rugby. we are the people's podcast providing a platform for rugby lovers to come together and support the game that's played in heaven. I'm your host, Mitch. Join with me this week is co host Lockie. Lockie, how are you, mate? Very good. It's
0: been a big, big 48 hours. So keen to dissect it all with you in due course, Mitch.
1: Now, this is our second episode of the week. Uh, we had some massive news around Australian rugby drop on Sunday night. So that was the agreement between Rugby Australia and Eddie Jones that they will be parting ways. Uh, we've got a little bit more information since Sunday night. Uh, Ando did record an episode with Rev that is out on your podcast stream now. So if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to that. That's a good little 15 minute breakdown of everything that was that did happen at that point. We have had a, a press conference today with Phil War and getting Rugby Australia's kind of stance on the whole thing, which uh, Lockie and I will talk about tonight. So a little bit more to talk about uh, in terms of Eddie Jones. Hopefully, this will be the last time we have to talk about Eddie Jones, and then we can just wash it. We can get rid of it and just move forward into the future. Uh, But we've also got tonight the World Cup finals to talk about. We've got the, the grand final between the All Blacks and the Springboks. We have the bronze medal playoff between Argentina and England. And in some ways, an even more exciting thing to talk about is the Wallaroos performance and victory over France, which, Lockie, I know you're pretty keen to chat through.
0: So keen. That was an amazing result, and I can't wait to rip into that one.
1: Yeah, it's going to be really, really good. So uh, before we dive into the podcast, we do have to wrap up our tipping comp for 2023 Rugby World Cup. So well done to Kakadu, who has taken out top space uh, on 544 points. We had a relative newcomer come in in second place with Bugsy Brawlers uh 486 points there jumping into the top 5 I don't think I've seen that name in the top 5 in the past few weeks so well done there and then we've got Felix Nine that finished in third place on 454 so well done to Kakadu for taking it out um we haven't yet decided what we're going to do in terms of prizes or shields or uh We'll get your name engraved on our pick and drive shield. We probably will, so we'll um we'll keep you updated on that. So keep an eye on our socials, uh, and we'll announce that in coming weeks. Is there anything else that I've forgotten to mention, Lockie? Or should we just dive into the rugby content? Let's dive straight in. Ready to go? Fantastic. Let's get into it.
0: And now we go to the main segment, what we're here for tonight. There's a World Cup final. There's Eddie going. There's plenty going on in the world. But the Wallaroos, 29 points to 20 win over France in WXV is the feature event of this week in rugby. Mitch Ando, it's the first time our girls have beaten France since 2010. A massive result, not just for the Wallaroos, but for Australian rugby Ando, kick us off, mate. Give us your reaction to this result.
2: Mate, I was up fist pumping the air when we won this game. It was absolutely awesome. I um could not... It's not that I couldn't believe, but I was just so wrapped for the girls to be able to get up. And the scoreline actually flatters France. Um, they had that last minute, like 81st minute try or something like that, that brought the score from 13-29 to 20-29. And it just was in so many ways genuinely a dominant performance from France. There were balls held up over the line. There were times where France were forced to take a penalty rather than kick for the corner because they respected the Wallaroos' defence so much. There was just so much to love about this match. I highly recommend that people
1: go back and and watch it. Mitch, were you as pumped as I was? Oh, this was an incredible performance from the Wallaroos, and... I was, I've got to admit, after the game, I think I was in a little bit of shock at how well the girls played. And not to say that I didn't expect this or or think that they could get to this level, but it's kind of chalk and cheese from their performance against England last week. And whatever Jay has done, whatever he's adding to the water, keep it up. Like we've got a big game coming up against Wales now and we have the potential to finish third in WXV, uh, which would be awesome.
0: It is. And look, we can finish even higher at this point. We're in a position now where we're equal third with Canada and up against winless Wales, who will still be a really tough ask heading into this contest. They're a six nation side. They are fully professional. They have the resources that currently our girls do not at their disposal. But against France, that was easily the best performance I think we've seen in the professional or semi-professional era. Certainly the best under Jake Stragoning, who will be coaching his final game this week against Wales. We know that he's not renewing his contract. So a massively emotional moment heading in across the finale, the finale of the WXV. Really quickly going through a couple of standout performances from this. Eva Capani, hat-trick of tries, barnstorming stuff in every sense of the world. Georgina Friedrichs at outside centre couldn't be tackled, couldn't be touched. M. Chancellor tackling everything that moved. Sarah Nigama made 20-plus carries. Michaela Leonard was everywhere. Uh, Ando, was there a player in the 23 who didn't have a moment of sensational footy in them?
2: Look, definitely not hyperbole to say no, definitely not every. Every single player was amazing um, but the truth is that there were some players like you mentioned who really stood up I mean we can highlight Brianna Ahoy or Serena Nagama for holding the ball up over the line at a couple of points of really intense French pressure or um, Brie Hoy again diving on that loose ball from the second Georgie Fredericks um, break that led to the try out wide soon after um, Br- Hoy diving on the loose ball with an urgency that we hadn't necessarily seen previously. And I think that one of the players that we really, really need to highlight is actually being very specific. It is the left foot or the left leg of Georgie Frederick because she, she just has the capacity to step and go off that foot. I kind of want a madam to Madame Tussaud's like wax cluster made of that and put it up at RA for everyone to look at on the way past. It was incredible the way she was bamboozling the French defence and just more of that, put it into my veins, absolutely loved it.
0: That's brilliant. Mitch, now moving forward, we've come off a nine-point win over the world's third-ranked side and we've talked in the past about how there is that huge gap between the top four teams of England, New Zealand, France and Canada and the rest, including Australia. Is this the first step to really closing that gap? And what do we need to do in this final game against Wales to prove that we are up there?
1: Yeah, I think it it definitely is. I mean, the way that the girls played this game, uh, the continuity of phase play, the way that they built in attack that we haven't seen so far in 2023 from the Wallaroos. And whether that's just the amount of game time that these girls have had together, whether the connections are starting to bear fruit, it's uh, it's really promising to see that having this tournament and having it consistently moving forward for the girls, whether they are in XV1 or they do, unfortunately, drop down to XV2, it does mean that we do have structure and guarantee of test matches consistently moving forward, which is a massive thing for the team. Uh, they've looked they looked sh- good in parts last week they looked brilliant for the majority this week next week's against wales is kind of the be all and end all it's the last test of 2023 uh they they have the opportunity to really give wales a good a good shot and um it will be interesting to see how they ad- they do approach that and what they can do in terms of uh yeah like what the effect will be if they can win that game
0: and uh- Massive changes could be made across this final game as well, which is harsh considering the 23 that won it against France. But you look at who's back available for selection. Laurie Kramer shaping to be back from injury. Maya Stewart has passed her concussion protocol and is available for selection. As is Annabelle Cody, and on the bench as well, who was overlooked from last week's team. Ash Masters back in the mix as well as Brady O'Gorman. I mean, there are stacks mm. of players with real experience who could come and make a difference against Wales.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I think that one of the players that we have, that that we definitely missed her impact in terms of physicality is Ash Masters. She's up there as one of the best players, in my mind, for the Wallaroos. So her absence this week was uh, a puzzling one. Good question to be asking about uh, with Jay. But I think that Maya Stewart will come on, come in on the wing for Desiree Miller. Um, Des- Desiree has done really well in the opportunities she's had and it just shows that we're getting a bit more depth within that back three. But I do think that Maya Stewart just gives a, a physicality, directness and speed, which we don't currently have within our back three play. Uh, I also think... That Laurie Kramer coming in at fullback will be a good option. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Sorry, Maleka is the was the 15 against France. Yep. Um, so I think that Laurie Kramer coming in at 15 will be advantageous because the first French try was actually a direct result of a missed kick for touch from our own 22, and so France were able to get the ball on the full and then do a really nice counter attack down that wing, resulting in a try. And I actually think that whilst there were so many awesome, genuinely positive elements to our play, that our tactical kicking game and our contestable kicking game when clearing our own end needs to improve massively. And I think that Laurie Kramer will be able to assist with that with her kicking boots on. So very, very keen to see what the changes are, but that takes nothing away from the quality of the performances that the girls put out in the park this weekend
0: couple of squad members who aren't uh, haven't featured over WXV yet, but could be considered as well. Jay Hurawai and Tabua Tuinukudrava from the Brumbies. Trillian Pomare is also available for selection and hasn't featured yet. So we could see those three called upon as a bit of fresh legs to finish with. But a final one on the Wallaroos for Mitch. This centre combination that we're starting to see build between Bella McKenzie and and G Fred in the centres. They played 10 and 12 together at East, but for mine, mate, that was looking really strong both sides of the ball against France.
1: And I think that was was a big step up from last week. Uh, Friedrichs and particularly uh, Mackenzie coming in, Bella Mackenzie, she was incredible. And we haven't seen a lot of her through her injury. She was injured, wasn't she, previously? Or did she just not get selected before?
0: Um, been in and out. She'd played a bit of ten and twelve over the course of uh Pack Four and the Laurie O'Reilly, but this has been the first time there's been an extended twelve thirteen combo um with those two.
2: Might jump in just for a second if that's okay, because there is a final point I want to make about this France game compared to New Zealand and playing England and the like, like we've seen all Lauries do previously. I actually think that the um Playing France suits us more than playing New Zealand or England. And I think a big part of that is because of the physicality and size of the forward packs for England and New Zealand. We've spoken previously about how some of the challenge that we have for the Wallaroos is going up against a really physically strong forwards. And I'm, I'm talking size, I'm talking um, the collision areas and the ability of those teams to just throw absolutely massive bodies working at pace into those areas. and. Our Wallaroos are brave they work hard but is difficult I think the French pack we saw it in their match against New Zealand Um, the France team does really well on counter-attack ball and does really really well on backline play once they're able to create opportunities for that attack but against Australia our more mobile pack and the quality of our outside defense worked really really well so I'm I'm hoping from what I recall of Wales in the Rugby World Cup previously, I don't think they have the largest pack within kind of the European teams. And so my hope is that we'll have a similar um, capacity to take the game to them the way that we saw this weekend because we're not going to have to spend so much time soaking up these massive collisions on D and instead we can try and bring a little bit more carry dominance into the match. I think, I think you're
0: right there. And coming out of the uh, press conference yesterday with um, the Wallaroos, we had um, Sarah Nagama and Georgie Friedrich standing up, and G Fred was quite clear about wanting to improve on their performance against the Welsh from last year. Um, both her and Sione Foucault said that it was disappointing that they only got up 13 points to seven in that game. They thought they left a lot of points out there. And even though the Welsh have a strong set piece, they id a couple of weaknesses out wide that they're keen to exploit. So I'm really keen to see the Walleries have a good, strong matchup. And for me, it's critical that they can back up a huge, historic French win with this second result. They need that to keep the momentum going and keep that drive going for not just the diehards like us, but to really start capturing the attention of a nation like we've seen the Matildas do, like we've seen other of our national sporting teams pick up. This is such an important game this weekend to keep that momentum going. So really excited for that one. Five PM kickoff on Friday. Um, that's Australian Eastern Daylight time. So tune into Sand Sport, wherever you're gonna watch that. Make sure you get around the girls. You cannot wait to see them round this one out. And uh, any final comments before you gotta jump off, mate?
2: No, mate, absolutely loved it. Cannot wait to watch the girls this weekend on Friday night against Wales. It's going to be an absolute cracker. Either way, I win, so I'm happy, but obviously <laughs> going to be choosing for Wallaroos. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. Thanks, guys, for allowing me to just pop on for this segment. Hope the rest of the pod goes well.
1: Cool. Let's keep moving. Let's move on. now that was our little intro into this section uh in some ways that fan that rugby australian fan might be due an apology he was the one that started this off uh last year at the scg going at eddie jones and calling him a traitor i wonder if he maybe had an inkling of what was to come in in 2023 2024 uh, for eddie jones but we now sit here we're recording on Tuesday night, and it has been revealed this afternoon by Rugby Australia that they have confirmed that Eddie Jones is parting ways as Wallaby's coach. He will finish up. And I thought this was an interesting little tidbit in the, the presser that he will finish up his contract on the 25th of November. Now it's the 31st of October. So he's effectively being paid by Rugby Australia for the next few weeks, even though he's effectively going to be in England and then Japan.
0: Yeah, it's a funny one. That one, it that certainly piqued my interest when I saw it. I can only imagine that he's got lots of stationery at his desk and he's going to have to do a couple of trips back and forward to the car before he heads over to Bar's. Look, it's just been a, what, what can we say about this really? And as, as listeners would know, I work with RA, so I'm going to be as down the line as I possibly can. Um, and I guess a good place to start is going through uh, the RA statement that was put out. Um, I'll read it as verbatim so we've got their take and then we'll get the many others that have been put out through the media um, over the past couple of days. We had today um, via social media in the morning, Rugby Australia can confirm that it has accepted the resignation of Wallabies head coach Eddie Jones and he will depart the position on the 25th of November. Rugby Australia thanks Eddie for his commitment to the Wallabies in 2023 and wishes him the best in his future endeavours. Announcements regarding the future of Wallabies coaching staff will be made in due course. So fairly, fairly open-ended, fairly blunt, um, that release that was going out on socials, and rightly so. Uh, and what can we say? Can we say that we're surprised as, as, as punders and as fans, Mitch, that this has transpired over the past 48 hours?
1: Look, I don't think we can be too surprised, really, uh, maybe in the past month of where of how this whole thing was shaping and where it was heading. I think the biggest frustration for fans is that Eddie Jones, well, Eddie Jones has basically shown himself to be a character of, uh, well, no character, essentially, that he's not someone who you can take his word. And we've been hearing it constantly from both Hamish McLennan and Phil Waugh over the past few weeks since the World Cup finished. Oh, we've spoken to Eddie. He's given us his word. You know, we're not going to speak to our, our Japan The jfru uh we don't believe that that's happening he's given us his word that he's sticking around eddie jones word means nothing he faced a press conference two weeks ago in sydney and said i'm sticking around i'm I'm committed to australian rugby for the long haul i'm seeing out my contract as long as they allow me to uh and in his in, in that conference he's saying that he'll stick around until 2027. he knew that this wasn't happening it's not like he would have been already at that point speaking to lawyers to sort of figure out, you know, can we get out of this contract? He knew that there was something in there like the the fail-safe clause or get-out-of-jail-free card that both Eddie Jones' party and RA had in that contract. So the fact that he stands up and then has those press conferences, does those interviews, he did that interview with uh, The Australian and he also did one with Peter Fitzsimmons and says in that interview pretty blatantly, I'm not going anywhere. I'm committed to Australian rugby. And he was pushed quite hard in both of those interviews to still then turn around and say, nah, nah, mate, I'm staying. I'm staying. I'm committed to then turn around and and leave when he knows that he's going to do that anyway. I I will not trust anything Eddie Jones says ever again. It's it's
0: hardly a unique position I think you're in there. I think so many people now will look at this 10-month tenure of Eddie in charge of the Wallabies coach without the Kool-Aid that was thrown in at the start. And we see, looking back through Eddie's career, post-Wallabies, you know, he went through Japan and he has backflipped on, changed and chopped things before. He backflipped out of the Stormers contract when he got a good offer at England. Um, This is a precedent that has been set under Jones, that these changes can happen. You say one thing, another thing happens. And it's hard not to look upon this with a bit of bitterness Mm. as a fan. Uh, There was so much excitement, I think, um, at the prospect of Eddie coming home and whether we as fans bought in too heavily or whether it was sold very well by all parties involved. I'm not quite sure.
1: I don't think we bought in too heavily. Like... (laughs) It's just,
0: but it 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 it's left me so sad yeah. about the whole affair. Like we, when I don't think we were ever in a really strong position to win this rugby world cup. But the 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 Jonestown machine of pumping out, yeah, this is going to happen. We're going to win the Bledisloe. We're going to tank the New Zealand economy. We're going <laughs> to smash and grab and win, Bill. I mean, it was all it was all bullshit. Yeah, wasn't it?
1: And that's and that's the thing when we look back on it now and we, we sit here and we, we think the rumours must be true. We don't know at this point yet whether he has spoken with Japan because he's, he's still denying it at this point. He did an interview yesterday morning or yesterday at some point with Channel 9 uh, when the news had broken. So it actually hadn't even been confirmed by RA that he was leaving at that point. But he did an interview with Channel 9 and their sports segment. It appeared that he was in an airport somewhere uh you would think that that's probably england but maybe he stopped off in japan on the way through to have a a quick interview who knows but he did an interview with them confirming that he was going and some of the words that he used in that interview were pretty uh offensive i i found as an australian rugby fan talking things like you know putting the blame back on ra saying that they made promises to me that we were going to you know centralize the system that we were going to have private equity money coming in that we had i spoke to them about changes that need to happen in the game But they're not at a point to be able to commit to those so they haven't you know they haven't uh held up their end of the bargain therefore i can't stick through my contract and i'm sorry but that's just ridiculous anyone coming in to the role of wallaby's head coach is not going to expect a whole revamp of the system within a short space of time within even four years that's the the things that a jones was talking about in that instance are things that as rugby fans we've been talking about for 10 years that need to have happened and haven't so he's just now using that as a as a reason for why he's leaving to try and shift some of the blame but i don't know if he has actually interviewed with japan or not we look back now and it, it seems likely that he did that he did do that interview and that he is in talks with japan and that is the reason now why he's on his way that he's departing getting out of his contract with rugby australia whether he has signed something with Japan, whether he has agreed to something, don't know, but it really makes you look back on this whole World Cup campaign and go, okay, well, where was the point that Eddie Jones thought, I can't do this? This isn't going to be sustainable. Did he sign his contract in, what was it, January 2023 or December 2021, whenever, uh, 2022, whenever it was that we sacked Dave Rennie? Did he sign with all intentions to be the wallabies coach to take us to the world cup and through to 2027 face alliance on home soil got here and then realized this is too big a job i can't do this i don't have the energy all the time to put to a project of revamping a whole nation's rugby system i'm out did did that happen because it's confusing as a fan to look at it and to say well at what point are you committed? At what point were you actually trying to pick the best players you possibly could and give the Wallabies the best chance they had of winning games and competing in the World Cup? And at what point did you then start to look at other options and then potentially tank the Wallabies' performance at the World Cup? And when you look back at it now, the questions and the the decisions that he made in the, the team that he named, the squad that he named, uh, the players that he left out, and now that he's left... The job and he's parted ways with ra uh it, he's he's essentially done the worst possible thing that he could have done or the worst possible thing he could have done ever in rugby australia he's definitely left the game in a much worse place probably the worst place he could have possibly left it in uh at this point if he in in, in case he, had, i mean the only other thing he probably could have done that would have been better was just not to sign in the first place
0: well it just makes us think what's the point so we, Eddie comes back with the fanfare, and you're right. The, the results and the, the way that the World Cup was managed by Eddie as coach just looked completely flawed and devoid of direction. Um, and what you raised just before as well about Eddie saying, you know, he needs to come back and, and you know, reinvent the game and help the game, Eddie wasn't signed to reinvent the game of rugby. He was signed to coach the Wallabies and win games of football. And to to think that you have the capacity as an individual in a specific coaching role to change an entire dynamic is either beyond egotistical or severely deluded. And I don't think anyone is bigger than the game itself in rugby. We look at the, the the whole conversation about you know the disconnect between um, the the elite and the grassroots, and grassroots is so strong. Like if Eddie was serious about that, where was you know, he you know, on the weekends coming down and running junior clinics? You know, why isn't he coming out and doing these things? Like perhaps he was on the side. We'll never know. But the whole point is that Eddie was coached, hired to coach the Wallabies and succeed with the Wallabies, and he did not achieve that. It was a disastrous run in that regard. And it just, it really, it's a kick in the guts. Mm. It's a real kick in the guts when you look back on it and go, what was achieved in those 10 months at the top echelon of the Wallaby brand? And to me, it's done so much more harm than good.
1: Definitely. Yeah, without a doubt. Like, as I said before, he's he's left Rugby Australia in a far worse place than he got then he picked it up when he started. Uh, some of the things you were just saying scream to me like the responsibilities of a director of rugby. Now we don't know whether Eddie Jones ever wants to be a director of rugby. He's a coach, and so some of the responsibilities that you're talking about there fall into someone who is a director of rugby. And at the announcement of his role when he signed, there were some things that Hamish McLennan and Phil War said. Actually, I don't even know if Phil War was around when. Eddie Jones signed to be honest. Um, I don't think he was. But there were no. things that were said in that announcement that Eddie Jones was giving given power over that any previous Wallabies coach had not been given that type of say or access. So access and oversight, mentorship to the Wallaroos coach, and it was somehow meant to structure and improve their system. Well, he spent apparent apparently he spent about 15, 20 minutes in a one-on-one interview uh, meeting with Jay Tragoning, the Wallaroos coach. Outside of that, he had no input into their system. He had no input into how they uh, prepared for matches. You just have to look at the way that I mean, he says these things, and they and that's what RA had said publicly about his role. But what he actually did was something completely different. If we go back to the Wallabies, what the Wallabies were in camp in on the Sunshine Coast, I believe when the Wallaroos played their first test match of the year on the Gold Coast. Now, that's like a 45-minute drive away. You would expect for someone who is the Wallabies coach and for a, a nation that is two teams playing under the one banner, that the, the Wallabies players, the men's players, who weren't doing anything but training, would do everything in their power to get to that Wallaroos game to support them, and they didn't. Eddie Jones wasn't seen anywhere. He didn't do any form of development, coaching, mentoring, to the Wallaroos at that time. So for him to now come back and say that, you know, I was pr- promised these things by RA, that I was told that I was gonna get these things to help improve the system. Well, let's just hold back a bit, mate, because you actually had responsibilities that you didn't fulfill in your time. And he was even asked in that interview a few weeks ago, you know, the Wallaroos are playing later this week. I think I think the interview say was on a Wednesday and the Wallaroos are playing their first test of WXV1 on the Saturday in, in New Zealand, are you going to go over to New Zealand, support the Wallaroos? Oh no, mate, I've got enough to do here. I've got too much on my plate. Like that's not good enough. That's not good enough. You can't have your cake and eat it too, Eddie.
0: Yeah. Don't let the door hit you on the way out, mate. Like that's just that, that for me, especially after all the, the, the combative interaction and all the, the vitriol that had been building between uh, Eddie and the media, for them to give him a pretty easy question about you know being involved with the wallaroos as per the original agreement of incoming on and him saying nah i've got bigger things on what's bigger what's bigger it's our national team competing at the wxv and you're not there so like you already knew for like for me personally at that point i knew he wasn't going to be involved with the program going forward and i just i didn't feel like he cared and I do like he cared about the Walrus program, and that's that stings too. So yeah, it's just it's left a bit. It's left a really bitter taste, and I think we will look back as rugby fans, um, people involved with the game professionally, as volunteers, won't look back with any love at all. I think at this twelve month block um, for the men's game, and we'll get we'll get into some you know really good news around you know the expansion of the women's competition and some other great results that are happening in that space sevens 15s but this um 2023 is not going to be a good year to look back upon
1: now we do have a lot of rugby to talk about in this podcast tonight so i am conscious of time but to wrap things up uh i will i want to get your thoughts on what happens next for rugby australia do you think there is someone in the world that can be appointed as coach of the wallabies and you don't have to say who you don't, we're not going to go through that whole process of who's it going to be. But do you even think that there is someone that RA can turn to now that will turn things around in time for 2025? For me, with my fan hat on, uh, I think there's only two
0: viable options at the moment. Um, and one of them is really difficult to get a hold of. I think a lot was said in the build-up to um, the eventual letting go of Dave Rennie and Eddie coming on board was Dan McKellar ever in the frame. And obviously, he's taken up that lucrative contract with lester it'd take a hell of a lot i think to buy him out of those media reports so there are clauses in his tigers contract that he could come back for all of his role i'm not sure what the um veracity of those claims are um but mckell is an option larkham i think remains a pretty safe option for um fans administrators um players it's another familiar face with skiing in the game for australian rugby but it's just it's such a difficult position because what kind of state um has it been left in we don't know because we're not coaches we don't know what we'll be walking into but coming off the back of a, a pool stage exit um at a world cup uh, a lot of hurt a lot of change over a, over two coaches in less than 12 months I mean, it, it'd be a difficult to ask, Mitch. Would anyone? Do you know of anyone that had put their hand up at all? I mean, I'll NSO? put
1: I'll put my hand up. I'll, I'll take <laughs> it on, and I'll even do it on half wage to take it on. I can't guarantee we're going to win any games, though, and that's the problem. Uh, we'll we'll uh, I'll pick a good team. I bet, but I don't know if we'll win <laughs> anything. Uh, so the we'll finish up now on our Eddie Jones bit. The one thing that I want to the point that I want to finish on is. A disappointing, one, one thing for me that I think has come out of this Eddie Jones departure that hasn't been focused on by anyone else is the stand documentary. Now, I don't think that RA are going to want to air that now. They've spent the last, what, year and a half filming behind-the-scenes footage of the build-up to the World Cup. Eddie Jones has come back. The coaching messiah has returned. We're going to win the World Cup. We've had a horrible campaign. Eddie Jones has now left. I don't think we're going to get that access. I would love to. I would love to get insight into the dressing room, the the sheds and everything that was being said behind the scenes. But I just fear at this point, the way it's all happened, I don't think it's going gonna, it's gonna to see the light of day. Do you think that it might?
0: Oh, I mean, the fan in me wants to desperately to see that. I think it would still brilliantly, and especially if it's used as a, um, almost a you use it as a learning tool some use it as like a
1: national mourning process
0: <laughs> not not even that it's just a just having that fly on the wall access i mean we talk we've talked about it in the past about you know how great some of those documentaries are for sport like the test for the cricket and other similar things that um streaming services done in the past um all or nothing with the all blacks through the lion series stuff like that i think seeing a team not succeed. It's just as fascinating as a viewer to seeing a team that does go on to do great things because it shows you that other side of the coin. It shows the humanity and the raw emotion and the pain that sport brings along with the joy and the, the love that we all watch it for. I think you need those in equal measure and you can't have one without the other. Otherwise, what would be the point? What would be the point of us pouring our heart and soul into stuff like this, Mitch, if we didn't have the pain? Uh, on the other side of that coin um, to drive us and motivate us when the good times aren't there. So, I mean, I, I think it'd be fascinating to see.
1: It really would. And the other point, sorry, I just thought of this as well as we were as you were talking there, Lockie, is the review. Now, RA was meant to be doing a whole review of the World Cup system and, and figuring out what went wrong and what they can do differently moving forward. Now that E. Jones has left, all of his coaching staff have left. Basically, the only people that are left employed by RA That were involved in the 2023 world cup are the media managers and the players do you think ra continues with this process or do they just save the money and move on to 2024
0: oh man i've I've no idea and i think it's it's wrong of me to sort of jump in on that ra side because i can't give a
1: Mm. a fair
0: impartial take and that and that includes you know the the obvious um analysis that should be made on you know what was the role of ra in yeah the whole oh, of course started. yeah, yeah. i like i i don't think i'm the right person to comment on that i'm really keen to see what our listeners think but that that's another thing that should come into scrutiny and be properly reviewed as well i'd like to see that review process remain independent yeah. um uh that they've that they've promised in the past publicly and um be able to see what comes out in the wash
1: well let's just hope that it does go ahead and we get some interesting insights or takeaways from that review uh let's leave it there we have more to jump into so let's move on now into our next segment okay it's time to talk some rugby world cup 2023 now we had two final games of the tournament that we haven't unpacked yet and the first one was the bronze playoff the the place for third place in this competition and that did go to England. Final score was 26-23 between England and Argentina. Uh, I, I personally have to say, I think Argentina played a lot better in this game than I thought they were going to. And I think they came a lot closer in England than I was expecting them to. Uh, I was hoping that they would win. Um, I had tipped them to win, hoping for an upset that might shoot me up the table a little bit. But on the overall game, what was your sort of takeaways from it? Did you Were you impressed with, how the RGs played or unimpressed as you have been previously with how England played? No, still the latter,
0: I think. I mean, and credit
1: to credit to England. Um, you know,
0: the teams that won gold and silver dropped a game and um, so did England. You know, so they're no better or worse on the win-loss ratio than um, New Zealand and South Africa and even better than New Zealand at the end of the day. So they're lost credit to, credit to them. Their they're, they're stodgy, they're stodgy footy, you know, does pay dividends. Um, And for the vast majority of this game, um, England were in the lead. At times, they were up to 13 points ahead and looking, you know, fairly comfortable, if not fully in the clear. Um, For mine, what stood out is that while the Argentinians played a lot better and they played all the footy, they just weren't able to hang onto the ball at all. They ended up coughing up the ball 14 times. And any team that's coughing up more than 10, for me, is just unable to close out a game and get themselves back in, especially given that they were a good chunk of the way behind um, midway through that first half. They gave up all that early momentum. You know, there was a try early in the piece, a couple of penalty goals, blew it out. And Argentina were always chasing. They only led for the briefest, briefest of moments, um, early in the first half, oh, in the second half, sorry, after another um, boff penalty, and then bang, we sort the of try. And they were straight back out again so it's really difficult um to look back and say argentina deserved it when they let that lead extend too early in the game um i gotta ask though you know a lot of you know great footy on the field but for mine all the storylines came after the fact with czech blowing (laughs) up in like old school czech fashion about the officiating and saying that, you know, the things were stacked against us, players deserved better. Has check got a point with this game, Mitch? Oh, I
1: don't... I don't think so. I don't... I mean, I watched the whole game and I watched it live and I didn't come out of it thinking that Argentina had been particularly hard done by, by Nick Berry. Now, I know they did end up losing the game only by three points and, you know when a game is as tight as that it does come down to one or two penalty decisions that don't go your way and you start to to say that we didn't get the rub of the green but same thi- the same sort of things are being spoken about the final which we'll speak about in a moment mm-hmm. and I, I definitely thought that Wayne Barnes handled that game really really well so um it, it it's easy to kind of say that it sounds a lot like sour grapes for the team that lost a game by so many by by at least one score essentially um, and it's sort of saying, you know, we weren't, we weren't treated fairly. I, I understand where Czech is coming from and I can, and you know, we, we've had him as wallabies coach, so we've had him in our defense, uh, for, you know, four or five years. And so we, he's been the one that's been fighting for our cause, but it's not a great look. And I know you're upset at the end of a world cup and you, um, you came as close as you really could to getting that bronze medal but it, it, it's not a great look in the press match, the press interview straight after the match and then the post-match press conference to be sitting there and sort of throwing the dummy and um, saying that, you know, the referee kind of lost you the game.
0: Yeah, I agree. Sour grapes probably sticks out. as the perfect analogy. I mean, they, England were in the lead for 78 minutes of that game. And, you know, you can maybe look back and say, you know, well, Um, they did the same thing against the box and the box still pinched it late in that semi-final. But I think England deserved this one. Um, Despite Argentina playing the proper footy, they couldn't hang on to the ball. They couldn't convert their chances. Well, they didn't have a chance late um, to plug the corner and go for the win, but they tossed it to Nico Sanchez who um, shanked the penalty attempt to tie things up at 26 all uh, and they just couldn't close it out. I thought that that Theo Dan charge down try was excellent um, he's had a really good tournament as well the um, English hooker one of their sort of breakout performers along with um, that big back row of Ben Earl and um, Tom Curry as well so there's some green shoots there for England um, but that like, carry like on though England's, after the
1: try like if we're yeah, gonna have a TMO that's gonna get involved with you know head contact and the the minimalist contacts around you know rock infringements and whatnot if for a player he scores a try and then intentionally rolls over and you know punches, essentially, the, the yeah. defending player in the head from scoring a try. Like, is that okay? <laughs> is that, that's no, kind of the no, only gripe I I, have. I, don't,
0: I don't think it's okay. It's not in the spirit of the game. And if someone, you know, with a megaphone reminded them and piped up and said, it's only the bronze boys, maybe it takes <laughs> the sting out of that. But um, hmm. I think it's going to be like all bronze finals, Mitch. You know, it's kind of entertaining. You, know, you tend to run it a bit more, but um, ultimately, it's a bit of a who cares, is.
1: Oh it definitely doesn't you know England were were happy and 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 well done to them to win that like that it is the type of game that's always re- historically pretty hard to get up for like you've just played pretty much the game of your lives in a, in a semi-final world cup and maybe not Argentina in their game against New Zealand but England came very close to making it into that world cup final to lose by a couple of points and most of those semi-finals usually do come down to that so to then have to play another game for third place and, you know, you've got a whole week to hang around and, and to prep, uh, both teams at least showed up and they played some pretty good rugby. I thought Argentina at times looked really good with the ball in hand and did look like it, particularly when they scored that try. The frustrating thing for Argentina out of this game is that they, the, the times that they did get ahead, they just let England back into the game so easily. Like we said, they scored that try, they looked really good they were putting England under a lot of pressure and then they just fail to to get the ball out of their own end zone they charge it down and they score a try and then they're back on top again so there is frustration there and i think that probably leads into what michael checker was saying as well that some of the the calls aren't going your way uh the players aren't doing as not so much the players i guess but just the the little things the 50-50s aren't quite going your way and and you're not converting as much as you you want to be converting in a game like this. So, yeah, I can understand how there is frustrations. One thing that's just jumped to mind, actually, that I have never seen before in a game of professional rugby was one of the, I don't know if it was in, I feel like it was towards the end of the game, but they had a scrum and the Argentina hookers, uh, the Argentinian, Argentina's prop, the studs completely snapped off the bottom of his boot. Did you see that? Was the stud itself in the middle or at the Like at the, the lining of his the bottom of his boot. So you've got the leather Ooh. part of the boot and then the lining where the sort of studs are screwed into completely came away. So he still had his boot on, but the stud part was sort of sitting popped off to the side. And I was like, if that is not an incentive of how much pressure is being put on you in the scrum, I don't know what is, that your boot's literally just snapping apart under the weight.
0: Oh, I have to go back and watch that. That's savage. But yeah, I mean, with what, a couple of tons of force being pumped through you at that point in an Argentina scrum, I can't imagine that's your
1: best case scenario. I think we have to also, um, and we'll move on to the final in a second, but I don't think either of us really coming into this tournament could foresee England coming third. And we do have to, and they've not played great rugby all the way through the tournament, but they have played good rugby in patches. And so we do have to sort of congratulate the English, as hard as that is, and say that they have done quite well in getting as far as they did, um, considering we're Australian and we didn't even make it out of the pool.
0: Do we? Do we have to give them credit? I still, I still think they didn't play rugby. They've rocked up and they've got through a tournament, but not. Oh, maybe against Chile when you know, Henry Arundel, the only English player with an attacking bone in his body, decided to score five on World Cup debut. And he was still their highest try scorer. So go yep. figure. Where's where's he in the bronze medal game? Feels like he's been robbed. Um <laughs> I've still got a crack, but I mean, yeah, they they played excellent tournament rugby. Was it an ad for the game? No. Did it vindicate Steve Borthwick's appointment? Perhaps. We'll find out and see if it wasn't just a box kicking sugar hit.
1: All right. Well, that leads us perfectly into the the creme de la creme The final of the World Cup 2023, South Africa versus New Zealand. Final score, South Africa 12, New Zealand 11. South Africa has gone back to back and they have become the first nation in World Cup history to win four of the tournaments. I did hear a stat today that South Africa has only been in the World Cup I say, eight times and they've won four of them. So they've got a 50% win rate in a World Cup. That's pretty bloody good. It's ridiculous. They are they are the undisputed
0: best World Cup side in history of the men's World Cup. i hasten you know hastened to add clearly, Black Ferns in England smashing it over in the women's, but as far as men's World Cups are concerned, uh, it's the box first and New Zealand slash daylight second. At this point, it's been repeated on a stack of different platforms, but we have to stress again. The World Cup run that South Africa had was so hard, mm. was so difficult. They had two strong Six Nations sides to get through, plus Tonga in the pool stage, dropped a pool game and had to come up against the hosts in a quarterfinal. France at Stade de France. Beaten by a point. They got through England by a point which they should not have won. They were terrible in that semi-final, yet they scraped through. And then when it counts, the score will say 12 points to 11 world champions again. So three finals plus three
1: margin overall. Clearly, you only need to win by a point. That's right. And one of the things that people have been speaking about about Well, thing we were talking and saying about the Springboks after twenty nineteen is that they had a much easier draw and a much easier run to the final than most of the other top tier nations in that tournament. And so that's why in some ways we they they won that. It's what people were saying. I think South Africa has done the complete opposite this time, and as you just highlighted, they had the hardest run to the tournament out of anyone in this whole competition. Yet they still managed to come out on top. Now there is a little bit of controversy, or maybe a lot of controversy, depending on where you live. In this game, there was four cards dished out. uh, One of them being red. One of them potentially being red, but not being upgraded. We we can't say that those cards didn't have an effect on the outcome. But yeah, look, let's just dive into it. What are your thoughts on the Sam Kane red card? and the Sia Khaleesi yellow, right decision, wrong decision. What are your thoughts?
0: It's so hard. It's so hard to unpack. I, my heart wants to say they should have both been yellow. That's what my heart's telling me for the sake of seeing 15 on 15 spectacle rugby. Um, yes. In the review, I thought Kane's contact was clearly high with force, um, i thought there may have been some mitigation from the way that creel shifted um yeah very abruptly but also it's a it's a contact game it's a high impact high collision game and these things can happen um i didn't think that khaleesi's was the same impact personally i thought there wasn't actually initial contact through the head i thought it was through the shoulder and because khaleesi's got a bit of higher hair i thought that actually masked the impact and. That's where it stacked on um, Savia. But I think in my heart, I would have loved to see both of those be yellow and see that contest evolve because there is no denying, you're so right, there's no denying that a red card in a final, what was it, 20 minutes in? Between 20 yep. and 30 minutes in, the yep. cane red yep. card? Um, and you lose, you lose your captain. That is massive. That's massive and undeniably swayed the game in the Springboks' favour. We will never know now what it would have been 15 on 15 and the hypotheticals are going to kill kiwis for the next four years um i can't say if I'm sorry for you because buggy you all but um <laughs> it, it it would it would hurt i can certainly empathize rather than sympathize oh there's some rough so, takes going
1: around like social media at the moment particularly from the new zealand pundits uh is not a nice place is not a, a good no. safe place to be at the moment there's a lot of hurt over in new zealand and we will extend our uh, well wishes to those New Zealand listeners that you'll be back. Um, You've got a great coach coming in next, and no doubt you'll be one of the top four in the next World Cup cycle coming through. So uh, as as hard a time as it is for them at the moment, how good is it to see them lose, though? I mean, as an Australian, to see them actually lose something, particularly in the way that they did. I mean, I just sat there and said, look, I mean, just I, I wanted South Africa to win. They did win awesome to see, you know, Khaleesi holding up the trophy again, but it makes it even better to see the all blacks lose it. It
0: does. And there's something really beautiful about seeing, see Khaleesi lift that trophy a second time. There are very few who've had the privilege of winning two world cups. I think you can, you know, almost count them on you know, a couple of pairs of hands, really. Um, the 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 those who backed up from the 91 99 wallabies uh, i think there was Osterant who did 95 and then 07 for the springboks which is amazing um but that class of the 2011 2015 all blacks and now 2019 2023 springboks is so special and we're going to look back i think in 4 to 8 years and realize how amazing this spring box unit is it's only almost until now in the aftermath of 2019 where the all blacks finally lost a world cup game that we realized how special the dan carters the ma'anonos the conrad smiths the ben smiths all were and they're now spoken of so fondly because even this incredible new zealand team with Artie sarvea with Richie Mohanga with Aaron Smith, with Bowden Barrett, Will Jordan, Geordie Barrett, they haven't won a World Cup. Only Barrett and Smith out of that amazing backline have won a World Cup. And they were both, you know, young bloods in 2015. So we don't appreciate I don't think, as Australian fans, um, maybe because we don't see it as much to Super Rugby anymore, just how good that box side is. And it kind of kills me as well because it wasn't very long ago that we were winning back-to-back tests against them, you know, here on home soil and and we were giving them really good runs to their money on a regular basis, you know, winning the test in Adelaide, mm. um, having that fantastic contest, you know, the MPP um, Corvetti saga, that ran on for a while, you know, we 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 were close, we were there, yet this, this is the Springbok side that will become immortal. And, as I started before I went on that weird little tangent about the All Blacks as well, watching Ser <laughs> Khaleesi become a legend is so special. He's wearing the six jersey of Francois Pienaar from the you know inaugural 95 World Cup. He's the first African captain, the first black African mm. captain to lift that trophy, to captain that side, and he's done it twice. He is there now with Richie McCaw, They stand together above all else as far as men's World Cup captains and that is not something I thought would ever happen leading into 2019 World Cup, let alone this one. It's incredible, Mitch.
1: And it'll be really interesting to see moving forward how much rugby he's got left in his legs. Like, theoretically, he's 32, I think. He could make it to 2027. He could captain the springboks in 2027 imagine if he goes to 2027 and the springboks win and they're three on the trot that would be unreal to see him do that he, he potentially has he has the potential to do that whether he will that's another question now on Sia Khaleesi we know that leading into this tournament he had that long term injury and he did everything he possibly could to get back and to play to earn selection in the tournament to to back up game after game to put his body on the line and the way that he played this final like we all sat here last week and spoke about how the springboks played that semi-final against England and they looked flat they they looked outclassed they looked out muscled against an english team who for 78 minutes looked like they were up and the dominant team but this week the turnaround in a week uh, a, t- a a team like the Springboks, they just know how to take it to another level, and just consistently making smashing All Blacks all day long. Their line speed, the the physicality at the breakdown, just the way that they approached this game and the way that they pushed South uh, New Zealand around was inspirational. It was
0: scary. It was actually quite scary to watch the the impact and the brutality. Of those collisions, we talked about. I think uh, a couple of weeks ago, those quarterfinals. How the the France South Africa quarterfinal was so physical and so combative, and same with the New Zealand Ireland games. And both of both games, I you know, will jump in and say were by far the best games of the tournament as far as a rugby spectacle is concerned. This doesn't hold a candle to it. But as far as pure purely enthralling physical contest, this was it. This was it. And it was always going to be, wasn't it? A wet track at Stade de France. The rain starts pouring down a little heavier. There's cards. There's blood. There's Peter Stefft-DeToyt taking names. I mean, the the tackling alone from that man (laughs) was spectacle enough. 28 tackles. The the hits that he laid on Geordie Barrett, knocking the ball free on the counter-attack, Eben Etzebeth setting the tone with that huge hit on Richie Moanga. As soon as the kickoff started and that first um, attempted counter-attack was shut down by Etzebeth, you just thought, wow, this is going to be war. And it was, it was. And I just thought, despite the the skewing of the card, um, the way that the Spring played, it almost looked as though it was inevitable that they would grind out a win like this. To me, I thought the the pressure and the ferocity that they showed in every single second of that game left the Kiwis a bit stunned. I th- especially across that first ten minutes. To me, for the first time in a long time, New Zealand looked like they didn't know. But taking what that to first do.
1: forty minutes, like the physicality that New Zealand, uh, that South Africa was bringing and was applying to uh was applying against new zealand like they felt large parts of that first half didn't look like they knew what to do and you know they were down they had two their two cards happened in that first half so they were down players for a long period of time in that first um 40 minutes but they uh, and i don't remember what point it was in time but they got to like a a 12-3 mm. scoreline. there was a nine point difference and i guess you could say that south, uh, new zealand the all blacks did well to get back in the second half to to come back and to get within a point and to take the, the to have the op- to put themselves in the opportunity to potentially get ahead unfortunately they weren't able to do that but south africa didn't falter either they didn't look like they never they never took their foot off the break and sort of allowed new zealand to gained momentum, New Zealand just really pushed through and took the opportunities that yeah. we had. And with. I
0: think I think the way that the South Africans managed the condition and managed their time and their breaks and the their process to get to set piece was really, really smart. We saw that even holding a six point lead or a three point lead um, as it was more common, the box were never afraid to just play territory. You saw time and time again, Andre Pollard saw, you know, we're, we might have a position to counterattack here. No, I'm going to go low along the ground, skid the ball into touch, and we're going to set the line out again. And just those extra 30 seconds of rest for the big South African boys. We saw the pack start to roll in and the rain come down heavier. And they never looked panicked. They never looked rough. And that's the benefit mm. of having that core regularly playing, you know, what, how many backed up from the last World Cup final? There were nine in the matchday squad who had started or had been, um, I think, started, who um, were in that 23. I'll have to double-check it now. But so much experience of winning those close, gritty games. And they did it again in 2019. We saw that game against Wales in the semi was, you know, only one in the last few minutes with Andre Pollard. And again, through France... And through England in those quarters and semis, it was a grind, but it was always well-managed by the South Africans. And you've got to give credit to the staff for going with the experience of De Klerk and Pollard and saying, these are our game managers. We've got LaRue to come in off the bench to add an extra hand, play the way you know, and they played their identity and their DNA to a record fourth bill and you've just got to admire that. But on the flip side as well, I said I was, you know, enjoying seeing the Kiwis lose, and I am. I'm not going to lie. But it so easily could have been different, <laughs> even with everything against New Zealand and the, the, the commentary leading in saying they weren't good enough and, you know, Fozzie's not the man for the job and all this all this rubbish that never applies to New Zealand because they are so good. Richie Moanga missed a kick to put him ahead geordie barrett misses a kick with five minutes to play to put them ahead yet they're so close and if they had got that win that would have been one of the most remarkable world cup wins i think we've ever seen if they got the job done there we go we look through the annals of history i don't know in a world cup final if there's ever really been an upset but that would have been it for me that would have been yeah
1: i mean the narrative alone right like losing your captain 20 minutes in Mm. playing a player down and then coming back and winning the game in if if it was in that final five minutes Mm. from that kick from geordie then that's an incredible that's an incredible narrative that you know they have they this is what the world cup does it creates these unique opportunities these stories these storylines these characters these heroes and these villains um the unfortunate thing coming out of this World Cup is that Sam Kane will be viewed as a villain for the result of that hit. Now, there's no intent there, and that's not something that's taken into account. But I mean, as as you we both said earlier, how good it is to see New Zealand lose. It was heartbreaking when they kept shot showing shots of Sam Kane, particularly when oh. he found out that it was red and that it was upgraded, like his face when they had him on camera. But Imagine if they had continued to pan to him, and they didn't, luckily, I guess, for New Zealand fans, but if they had continued to pan to him like they were to chess and Colby in those last five minutes, when the game was on the line, when the scrums being reset, that we we're, we're looking at Sam Kane, who unfortunately and realistically that call and that decision ultimately lost and, and them he, the World and Cup.
0: he's owned it so well. I have nothing but respect for the man. I think he's been you know massively maligned across his all Blacks career. But he's come out and said, yep, I've got to live with that for the rest of my life. I've got to accept that. That's the ruling that was given, and I've got to bear that with me forever. He's not shying away from it. He's not attacking the referees and saying it's bullshit. He's not saying that, you know, I've been the victim here. He has copped one of the toughest calls in world rugby history and just walked straight on. Like, the man's got a granite chin. I'll give him that. And a huge amount of respect to him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just hope he's well supported. Any player in that position, you want to see them well supported. And a, a quick one on the on the Kiwi response as well, Mitch. I know, like a lot of that commentary mm-hmm. that we've seen in the media across social media has been, you know, very dark out of New Zealand. It's largely been directed yep. at um, match officiating and and this and that. But it's been really. Cool to see the re-energizing of a lot of parts of New Zealand rugby about their all blacks. You know, they you know how quickly and fair weather they can be, you know, everything was doom and gloom after losing the Irish series, and after the Springboks whacked them at Twickenham, you know, it was all, you know, we've all given up for next year. There was a real genuine energy building uh, across the ditch, and a lot of it was so positive. And you know, this underdog story that you almost never see um being spoken about the New Zealanders because why would you it's their lifeblood it's rugby but I really enjoyed seeing that narrative shift over there as well and it's something I'd love for them to take into the next World Cup because you know a strong competitive All Blacks is great for world rugby and you know if it's by some miracle us and them they're at the business end of a 2027 campaign all of this would have been worth it for me
1: I think the other side of that comment too is some of the things that have been said through social media and some reports that have come out that particularly Wayne Barnes, apparently the referee, and I thought he had, look, those decisions were tough and I don't blame him for those decisions. I think the TMO put him in, in difficult situations and sort of, you know, by highlighting those things and, and the way that the, the, the laws are worded puts in, into a corner and so those decisions have to be made like ultimately it wasn't Wayne Barnes that upgraded the red card from yellow to red It was the independent match official it wasn't even the TMO it's an independent unnamed match official that does that the bunker but from what I've read online he's received hundreds and hundreds of death threats over his officiating of the World Cup and I just need to come on here and say that that's never okay and that's not something that is part of our game is part of it shouldn't be part of anything in life like if you have if you watch a game at the end of the day this is a game yes the people are employed and there's a lot of money involved in it but it's a game like he didn't go out there to lose a nation the world cup or to win a nation a world cup now we can be as passionate fans as we want but there is no justification for getting on social media and sending some vile messages like that um and if you find yourself getting to that point of that sort of anger I would just encourage you to kind of take a step back, maybe step away from it from it all a little bit and just give it a few days before you do send that because you know, he's not he's doing his best. He's been a great servant of the game for the past however many years he's been officiating. This is his last World Cup. This is potentially his last international game and to receive that kind of message from rugby fans around the world is just it's just not good enough and it's not rugby. So Just wanted to put that out there. No, you've
0: you've nailed that. And I'll very quickly second, I know we're dragging on, but you are not a good person in my mind if you think it's acceptable to message a match official and abuse them after the fact. Just get over yourself, go down to your local club, pick up a whistle, have a go yourself. That's the best way to figure out how tough all this is. Yeah, it's... There's just no place for it. There never has been a place for referee abuse. Have your opinion. Have a good bit of chat during the game. Nothing wrong with a bit of ice painted on action (laughs) at your local club, but for goodness' sake, a violent vitriol and abuse—go over yourself. That's terrible and it's unacceptable, and it's never been a part of the game. So we condemn it in the strongest. Now we do
1: have to congratulate South Africa for their win. They have been incredible in this tournament. So have New Zealand. There are some. players that we do, and we will finish up here, but with some players that do need to be highlighted for their performance in this final. So Peter Steff de Toit was incredible. Uh, mm-hmm. Andre Pollard next level, uh, fafta clerk, the only, the only scrum half on the field, I can't imagine what kind of pressure is going through his head leading to this game saying, you know, if your hammy start to feel tight after 50 minutes, sorry, mate, you're going 80 keep going, and he just he continued to kick it like he had the ball on the dime. He was incredible all the way through. Artie Surveyor was awesome. Um, yeah, who else did you have that you wanted to highlight before we finish up?
0: Matt, forgotten hero, Dion Ferre The man is 37 years old. He is not a specialist hooker, and he played 77 minutes of a World Cup final. In the front row. That is the best personal player story coming out of this I think final, he's even think. captain at one point. Huge power to him. He was. He was captain to finish when Khaleesi went off for the last eight minutes. I mean, what a story. <laughs> that is just, that's brilliant for mine. Um, I, I love that aspect of it. I thought him and Quagga Smith were massive off the bench, as was um Archie Naiman and Jean Klein in the middle they were just brilliant as well um on the kiwi side you've already ticked off survey he was a workhorse um i also thought that uh aaron smith had a cracking game as well and i think we look very differently at geordie barrett's game if he ices that at the end i thought he was really impactful around um, the field as well so just the heroes heroes on both sides a proper war congratulations south africa um you're not allowed to win one for at least
1: three or four cycles now. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, uh, let's keep moving on. Cause we've got some other stuff to talk through. Um, but yeah, let's hit our next segment. All right. It's time to wrap things up. This has been going on. Lots to talk about a great podcast so far. Uh, we've got something interesting to feature before we wrap things up. Now this is probably going to fit better for our YouTube, members uh the ones following on youtube as we are a visual this is a visual element that we're referring to so what has been announced since the world cup finished geez yesterday a few days ago uh world rugby has come out with a new branding and a new sort of marketing mantra for the rugby world cup moving forward so if you are watching on youtube you can see the new logo that they have unveiled uh this is for rugby world cup women's england 2025 if i said something wrong lucky you look very confused
0: i'm just confused by the logo Mitch. <laughs> I, i'm still trying to process it and i will do my best to describe what is currently in front of me for those uh suffering through tuning the, in suffering through yep. the 75th minute of this podcast um before i start mitch is this the branding for all world cups going forward or is this just the women's competition as opposed to the men's competition
1: i believe it is for all world cups moving forward
0: excellent so uh it appears on face value that world rugby has totally butchered the design for all world <laughs> cups going forward we have been graced with a sparkly oval um, within what looks like times new roman the letters RWC stacked on top of each other. Um, I feel as though it's been made by an intern in Canva, and the intern may or may not have been me.
1: <laughs> well, as someone who has a very attractive looking social media profile, uh, being scrum bags, you definitely would be able to pump out something that looks uh, a fair bit more professional than I think this one. But this I'm going to read out a, a few quotes from the official. <gasps> media release, which might in might reveal some insight into what they were going for. So following the thrilling conclusion of Rugby World Cup 2023 uh, in Paris, World Rugby has unveiled its vision for the future of the tournament with a new visual and sound identity that captures and celebrates rugby's unique energy. The exciting new identity, which will further unify the Rugby World Cup brand across both its women's and men's properties is rooted in Rugby World Cup's rich contradictions And the duality of rugby, where there are two sides and no enemies, epic moments, but fine margins, one trophy and many winners. The rebranding comes at a time when rugby is embracing opportunities for transformational change and growth and reinforces the sport's innovative approach to digital and fan engagement. So a little bit further down, it does say this is the, the official logo for Women's Rugby World Cup 2025. So, in addition to the new logo, Rugby World Cup has updated its hosting name convention to now include women's and men's. So the decision aims to promote unity across the tournament and provide clarity and consistency for fans. Now, you may remember that in two thousand and nineteen, rugby world rugby decided to remove uh, the the naming convention that they're now reintroducing. So for twenty twenty, what was it twenty twenty two? No, Rugby World Cup 2021 being played in Rugby World Cup in Rug, in rug 2020. Oh, what was the one in New Zealand? It was played, <laughs> in, played in 22. That's it. That World Cup uh, was just called Rugby World Cup 2021 being played in 2022 and they removed the women's element. The next World Cup being uh, in England 2025 is now officially known as Women's Rugby World Cup England 2025. So they've made one decision. They've now changed their mind and gone back on that decision. Any thoughts on that? I would love to
0: know the consultancy fees associated with World Rugby's toing and froing on both the logo and the naming and renaming. Um, that just all looks ridiculous at face value. Maybe there's a great rationale behind it. Um, personally, I've no problem with either branding, whether it's gendered or non-gendered, but just pick and stick. I guess is the go-to for there but why they've decided to change the branding of the Rugby World Cup to this is a very interesting decision. I saw it pop up on socials as the, the Instagram um, the biopic for the World Cup um, after the fact and I thought that I was having a stroke seeing this new logo pop up I thought I'd been hacked or something.
1: So what is interesting in that logo, it is a little bit different to this one for women, the England World Cup, in that on the official Rugby World Cup Facebook page or Instagram page, it's this logo, but it's black with green sort of accents to it. And uh, there was a good discussion on our Discord server, good chance to promote that if you want to get involved in the best Discord rugby server going around, do uh, search for Pick and Drive Rugby. But there was some good chat on there that we came to the consensus that It must purely be a placeholder, like a filler, until they upload the logo for Rugby World Cup 2025 or 2027. Uh, Apparently not. Apparently, this is the World Cup that's going to be the logo moving forward, which is unfortunate. Now, there is a little bit more definition of or explanation of the logo design. So it says, the new Rugby World Cup brand mark is based on the game's most iconic symbol, the ball, and embodies the duality of rugby by combining a clean, modern, and progressive shape with a more traditional typeface that symbolizes the rich history and legacy of the game. The brand mark will sit at the heart of each tournament logo, which will also capture the fundamental energy and unique visual and cultural symbolism of the host nation. So I've got to say, that's that's unfortunate because... I actually really liked what the world cup logo looked like before I was really much looking forward to what in 2027, we could in, incorporate some first nations designs into that world cup logo, have it, you know, on sides of buildings, have it on merchandise. If this is what we're going to get, I'm a little bit underwhelmed. And my thought, first, thought, first thought too is if this is what's symbolizing England, what about this says England? It it just doesn't I don't look at this and go, Oh, that's English. It must be played in England.
0: I feel like someone at World Rugby bought this template and thought, Oh, we better use it. Like, it's just it seems so cookie cutter to me. And I don't the, this, this gold design that's up on the screen I don't mind as much as the black and green atrocity that's been harassing my socials. But I mean, it's it it has no character at least i really liked with the the new world rugby the the w the sort of rhomboidy W um that they incorporated the mount fuji design for japan they had the the hoops for france i thought was cool and everyone was customizing it to go with their jersey and I, i had a very similar thought um to you you know how can we incorporate indigenous torres strait island design how do we incorporate the green and gold into the logo do we go down that boxing kangaroo or the southern cross or whatever iteration of australiana you want to promote there's so many things you could do but this is just a this looks like clip art <laughs> this is this is this is heinous. i mean oh i'll, I'll have to jump on the discord and you know get the latest word from there but um yeah, no doubt I'm, you I'm, will though I when think, it
1: come, when I the when the merchandise comes out you'll still be buying your bucket hat or your budgie smugglers with the logo on it Let's be real. Oh, I was, I was, I my uh, anyway,
0: smugglers, especially a rugby pair. But um, yep. this is just, yeah, I, I, I think. But how did how did you describe this? What, what uh, was
1: description? My my one or the official world world rugby no, yours one?
0: Used a fantastic word.
1: I don't know. You need. Uh, oh. I don't remember what I said. I'll have to go back uh, and edit it. Maybe, find it maybe
0: underwhelmed or something. Underwhelming. Like, That's probably it. underwhelming. Is the kindest possible description. <laughs> you can give this logo. Uh, I apologize to the world rugby graphic design team. I'm just um, yeah, a bit miffed.
1: It's this definitely feels like one of those projects they gave to the intern and said, just have a play with Canva because our Canva subscription subs- expires in yep. in a few days. See what you can do. Yeah, anyway, thanks, let's thanks, uh, thanks. let's finish things there. We've had a, a, a mammoth podcast, lots to cover. Very much looking forward to the Wallaroos test coming up next week. So make yes. sure you're tuning into that. Uh, the last test of 2023 for any. Australian rugby side. So do tune in on Stan Sport. Do give the girls your support. Uh, we definitely will be following along and, and uh, you'll be running the, you'll be working for it, but I'll, I'll definitely be watching it. So I'll um, I'll be on the Discord. So make sure that you're in there and, and watching it and, and adding to that conversation as well.
0: Yes, jump on the Discord. I'll be running the rugby.com live coverage. Um, so tune in there for your the extra bits and bobs and match reports. Um, And get around them. The girls can finish as high as second in WXV1, which would be unthinkable for the average rugby fan before this tournament. So get around them. Huge shift. Um, It's likely going to be decided by the uh, winner of New Zealand-England, which I believe is the final game on Saturday. So still a bit of time after the Australian game. But get around the girls. Huge win against France. I can't wait to see how they go against the Welsh.
1: And I'm calling RA now that if the the girls do get up as they will against Wales, if we do finish second in WXV1, let's just shut down the men's side of the game. Let's just worry about that. That's its own basket fire at the moment. Leave that. Let's just focus on the women's game because we have so much potential here. That will be the pinnacle of our sport moving forward. And uh, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to seeing what the Wallaroos can do moving forward with a little bit more time, effort and money put into their program.
0: Get him on the Lions tour, 2025.
1: Yes, a women's line, too, as well. That'll be fantastic. Uh, thanks for getting to this point of the podcast. We'll be back next week to unpack the Wales game and sort of sign off for 2023. Um, yeah, that's everything. We'll catch you next week. Bye.